You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 881 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Wednesday into Thursday, and thank you as always for joining us on the podcast. This will be the final show before the Hawks play a game on Friday evening. Atlanta tips off in less than 48 hours as I record this, and it'll be a little bit shorter of a show with two marathon episodes in a row already this week. If you're a new listener, thank you again for joining us, but also as a programming note, I usually do an episode after every game for the most part. Uh, so consider that the plan moving forward until otherwise noted. Also, of course, I'll have other content sprinkled in between games, but games are not coming fast and furious as of Friday, and then the Hawks play again on Sunday. Also, I recorded a, two, a two-part deep dive with Robbie Cowan of Dime earlier this week. Robbie and I are good friends, and we do an annual look at the overrunners for every single team in the league. So we did the West first. That's the first podcast that you'll see in the archive. And then we posted the East yesterday with about 20 minutes or so at the top about the Hawks as well. So plenty of content there. Subscribe, download, etc. And also before that, we still have relevant content from the last week plus with Eric Horn and Harrison Fagan and Tyler Jones joining us, among others. I would encourage everyone to go back, download, listen, subscribe to all of that stuff as well. On today's show, I'll touch on the highly controversial ESPN Top 100 list that came out this week and also answer some mailbag questions in advance of the preseason opener. But before we get to all that, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. All right, and some news to get to here at the top of the podcast. The good folks at Fox Sports Southeast announced this week that all four preseason games will be happening on their network as well as the entire first half schedule for the Hawks. As a note, people were asking me about this. YouTube TV dropped all their Fox regional sports networks on October 1st, and they have not returned as of now. That's also the case for Hulu Live TV and a couple of others in in the streaming realm. Uh, I have no input on that, quite frankly. That could still be happening uh, in terms of the next few days. It's not going to, I don't think it's miraculously going to change. There is a notion that they could be returning at, at some point in the near future with some pressure and all that stuff. But this is something that is a network versus provider battle at this point in time. I know people are always asking about this, and um, I don't have any insight, quite frankly. I know it's brutal if you are a sports fan, especially if you're an Atlanta sports fan, because the Braves are also on the same network. Of course, the Braves aren't playing right now, but the Hawks are the first test for this. This happened at, this happened in October when all the Braves games were going into national uh, broadcast windows. Now the Hawks uh, are one of the teams that is uh, – really the main carrier of Fox Sports Southeast this time of year. So we'll see what happens there, but it's above the Hawks' head. Um, If you are a subscriber to YouTube TV or Hulu Live or whatever, I don't have answers for you. Um, Obviously, League Pass is available if you are outside of the market, but inside the market, technically, you're not allowed to watch Hawks games on League Pass. So uh, I'm sure there are creative solutions, but one of those things where uh, I'll be going to games, I have cable um, for that reason more than anything else, but... No answers on that one. Hopefully, they will get that rectified in the near future because I know there are lots of Hawks fans that I've heard from, and even, of course, even more than that, that are uh, frustrated by this. But we'll see what happens on that front. But yes, um, this is actually nice. Usually, there's at least one preseason game, honestly, more than one on occasion, that are not broadcast for anyone's consumption. And this this time, even in the pandemic and all of that, they have the entire schedule. So that's pretty nice for all of us trying to keep tabs on the Hawks in the near future. And the first two games are at home, so I'll be in the building for those over the weekend. Um, 
Less news, but ESPN's Top 100 rankings came out this week, and they are certainly controversial. I tweeted a little bit about them. I posted a little about them at peacetreehoops.com, but we'll dive in a little bit now because that was the topic that I was asked about the most in the last couple of days. So everybody knows the Hawks had four guys in the Top 100. That is less than I would have in the Top in the top 100 for the Hawks. Um, Danilo Gallinari is 85. John Collins is 84. Yes, 84. Bogdan Vadanovic is 62, Trey Young is 29, and Clint Capella is unranked on the list. Um, so I'll go player by player right now. I will say this as a broad stroke. Uh, I think four of those five are too low. Um, Trey Young at 29 is too low. I had a feeling that he'd be lower than I think he should be, but this is even lower than I thought he was going to be. I won't go player by player on this one, but he's behind a guy like CJ McCollum. That seems pretty insane to me. Without taking a shot at CJ, who's a good player, Trey Young is... You know, much better than CJ McCollum, uh, and I know, I know defensively there are questions, but that's not even really in the same realm, to be honest with you. That one is kind of indefensible in my mind. Also, Trey's behind guys like Zion. That's pretty silly to me, especially you know, it's just not it's just not a prospect list in any way, shape, or form. This is about this season only, which is part of the part of the craziness about this list overall with some of the rankings of young guys who have not proven anything. But you know, Zion. You could certainly, I guess, argue that Zion is a better prospect. I'm not even sure that I would do that. But this is uh, about this season, and Trey Young was awesome last year. Zion was also good, but on a small sample size and all that stuff. Also, guys, like for me anyway, I think Trey is a better player than like Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell. Um, I at least get those on some level because those guys excelled in the bubble, but that was a small sample size. Trey is better than the regular season before that. All that said, Trey's too low at 29. Um, you could argue that he actually isn't the most ridiculous ranking of all of these, but uh, that is too low in my mind. So I'll start. I'll start there. Um, the one that was actually the most reasonable is Bogdanovich in my mind at 62. You can actually, honestly, I might even argue that he might be a little bit high, but I think it's reasonable. Um, that's the right range. You could certainly nitpick the list. As I said, there are spots where I don't really understand where guys are where they are. For instance, Bogdanovich is a better player than Tyler Hero right now. He's a better player than Michael Porter Jr. right now. Those guys are ahead of him. They're young and interesting. I understand that. But those are a couple of guys that he's better than that are ranked ahead of him. Still, Bogdanovich is, I would say, appropriately ranked. No issue whatsoever. The other two guys, uh, actually, I guess the other three guys, are pretty crazy. So, John Collins is the one that I, I focus on the most. He comes in at 84. That is just insanely low. It's just what it is. I know that nationally he is thought of not quite as highly as he is locally. I am much higher on Collins than the national consensus. Um, and, you know, Hawks fans are probably even higher than I am on John Collins. I know Tower Jones, good friend of the program, is even higher than I am on John Collins. But even I think this is a crazy, crazy, crazy low ranking for Collins. To make it even worse for me, Collins was on this same exact list. So ESPN, you know, broadly speaking, this is a panel that they that they sort of poll and then they average it out, etc. They don't release who it is. It's a very large panel, in my understanding. So you can't really sort of attribute specific names to who's voting and all that stuff. But last year, on the same list, same criteria, Collins was number 47 in the preseason last year. Now, that actually might have been a little bit high based on what he had done to that point in time. But regardless, he was in the top 50 last season for ESPN. Then he went out and had pretty easily the best season of his career on both ends of the floor. He was better on offense. He was much better on defense. I know he had the suspension, but Collins was, again, leaps and bounds better in year three than he was in the previous two years. And ESPN responded by making him drop 37 spots in the ranks. So it's not always that easy. It's not always that linear, but there's just no way to defend Collins this low on this list. He is uh, conservatively a top 50 player. 
you know, if they had him in the top 60, it would be less egregious to me. Outside the top 80, it's just criminally crazy to me. I don't want to make a big deal out of it. It's one of those things where this the, the entire point of the list is to inspire conversation. There's clearly some reaction bias to the bubble as well, if you look up and down the list. And the Hawks, were, Hawks weren't there, of course. But if you look at the numbers, there's just no way of getting around this. Even if you believe that Collins is a little bit overrated by the numbers, like the raw counting stats, even if you thought that, he's still too low on this list. So he's behind a bunch of guys. I can, I can read the whole list. He's probably, you know, again, he's behind maybe 30 plus guys on this list that he's better than. But the ones that got me crazy were Montrez Harrell, for one, Dennis Schroeder, KCP, uh, DeJounte Murray, Tyler Hero, Michael Porter Jr. Like, none of those guys are as good as John Collins. They're just not. Um, I understand there's some projection involved to some degree, but John Collins is a young player who averaged 20 and 10 last year on elite efficiency. I don't know. It's just crazy. I, I could go on forever on this, but to have him behind some of the guys that he was behind was uh, pretty indefensible to me. So that's my only thought on it. Am I mad about it? Uh, you know, it's annoying, I would say. If you're a Hawks fan, I'm sure you're angry about this. I totally get it. It's a crazy ranking, so there you go. Uh, Danilo Gallinari is also too low. He's one spot behind Kala, which, which I actually thought was pretty funny. They put the Hawks guys next to each other. Um, Gallinari, also really underrated um, on this list. Uh, I mean, there are people that I trust that think Gallinari is better than Collins. Um, I don't subscribe to that, but I think it's that's closer than you might think in some ways. Gallinari is that good of a player. Um, and he's, again, 20, 30, 40 spots too low on this list in some way. He's better than all the guys I mentioned before. Like He's he's a better player than Harrell and Schroeder and KCP and DeJounte Murray and Tyler Hero. All of those guys, Gallinari is better. I think Collins is a better player, but that gap isn't like terribly huge. And Gallinari is, again, way too underrated. Collins will get more attention because of the fact that he's more high-profile locally. He's been around. He's younger, all that stuff. At least with Gallinari, you could, and I emphasize could, I would not do this, you could assume or maybe bake in some regression risk at his age, new team, He's he, he might not start, all that stuff. I So it's, it's a little bit more understandable, but it's not understandable. You know what I mean? Like It's one of those things where... I can at least craft the argument to have Gallinari a little bit lower, but even if I did that, this is still too low for him. So uh, there you go on that. And the last one is Clint Capella outside the top 100 overall. There are a bunch of guys on the top 100 that Capella is just much, much, much better than. I understand having him being fifth on the Hawks list of guys because Capella missed some time last year, um, new situation, all that stuff. But Clint Capella... You know, I'm sure people have heard me say this. If you're not a frequent listener, I've said repeatedly in the last couple of weeks and months after the Hawks acquire all these guys anyway, the last couple of weeks anyway, um, the Hawks have five top 100 players on this roster, and that's conservative. I think they really have top, I think they really have five top 80 players. That's what I think anyway. And quite frankly, I think Bogdanovich is probably the fifth best player on this roster. And on this list, he's ranked second. <laughs> so that isn't a shot at Bogdanovich. I think he's a good player, but... I think they have five top 80 guys on this roster. Uh, Capella, even if you were skeptical of his injury recovery and all that, he is 100% healthy at this point in time by all accounts. Even if you weren't in love with him, he's a top 100 player in the league pretty conservatively. Like guys ahead of him on this list, by the way, that made that made the top 100, um, Mitchell Robinson, Jared Allen, who I do like, but Capella is a better player right now, Marcus Morris, uh, Jeremy Grant made the list, in addition to some other guys that I mentioned earlier. So I don't know. Uh, KCP's one where I don't, I mean, I like KCP a lot, quite frankly, but Capella's a lot better than he is. Um, yeah, the list goes on. Capella, I'm sure, is overlooked on some level because he hasn't played in so long, but needless to say, really one of the top five guys was appropriately ranked. 
Um, that's pretty crazy in some ways. It's also the Hawks being underrated as they are right now. And uh, yeah, I mean, I actually saw some Hawks fans that are upset about the lack of like Reddish. You know, it does not surprise me. No, you know, quite frankly, none of the other guys have earned a top 100 placement right now. And that includes Reddish and Hunter and Herter. Those guys in the future certainly could, especially Reddish, I think has the highest upside of those three. But for now, I have no outrage at all that those guys didn't make the list. But the top five guys should have all made the, should have all made the top 100 comfortably. And I would have had Gallo and Collins both, both inside the top, again, 50. That's conservative. Maybe maybe top 60 if you want to go crazy. But uh, yeah, that's probably enough on this topic. The list is very bad. Even By the way, non-Hawks related. I have all kinds of qualms with this list. Up and down it, you know, all the way into the top 50. Um, the list... The top 50 is maybe like reasonable in terms of a 50-man group, but the order is not ideal, etc. So that'll be for a different podcast. We're talking about the entire league. But for Hawks purposes, everyone's underrated other than Bogdanovich on this, on this list. And that is my final thought on the matter. Um, before we get to some mailbag questions that are coming fast and furious on the podcast, a word from our sponsors on today's show. So I haven't done a ton of mailbag questions lately, but with everything happening in Hawksland, it's been quite busy, of course, the last few weeks. But... I'll do another one of these before the season, but thanks to everyone who has asked some stuff in the last few days and weeks. I do have a file that I keep that has tons of questions in it, so I appreciate all of the inquiries. We'll do a couple right now. First question comes from Maharsi via email. My apologies if I mispronounced your name, but uh, here we go. The question is, I am curious after all these offseason moves and signings, how much pressure is there on Lloyd Pierce this season? I will say I am guessing here. It might be an educated guess, but I am guessing. Um, I think that Lloyd is all right. He's in pretty good shape. I understand why the narrative is out there that he's under some heat. I think he probably is in practical terms when you have Nick McMillan on the staff, when you have a team that spent a ton of money this offseason. Um, the investment is now there. I, I've said on the podcast and I, ma- I maintain that last year's team was not on Lloyd. It was much more on Travis Schlenk and the way the roster was built. The roster was not NBA caliber last season outside of the top guys. Um, This year, though, that excuse is not out there anymore. They now have appropriate talent. They have good talent. They have depth. They have pieces. And that transfers a little bit of the onus back to the coaching staff. Obviously, the pieces don't always fit perfectly together on this roster, but they're going to have to win this season or Lloyd's going to get some rumblings. I'm not sure he's going to get fired, but there'll be some pressure. And that comes with the fact that now they have players and everyone, and I mean, everyone has been on the record talking about the playoffs. So if they fall short of that, if they get off to a rough start um, and they're not projected to do that anymore, that's when the rumblings start. So how much pressure is there? I think there is some just because of the way the NBA normally works. And again, this is me guessing, not reporting anything, but Usually, you know, the GM and the head coach are brought in at the same time. Uh, well, Travis was there a year before, but with Bud, he, Lloyd was his first major hire. Um, and I think that once you give, if you're the GM, once you give the coach the players that he would need or have a competent roster and spend, spend a bunch of money, one of the natural things that happens in the NBA is if the team is not succeeding, the head coach is among the first people that gets the ax. Now, I'm not, again, not saying that's going to happen here, but just naturally, the way the league often works, not always, but often, is that if a team struggles that has expectations, the head coach starts to be blamed on some level. It's the it's the stars and the head coach usually. And Trey Young, as young as he is, as good as he is, isn't going to get the heat this time around if they don't play well. Once he's just really struggling, which I can't imagine really happening, it's going to be Lloyd as the guy who is the every casual fan, every national voice, like, oh, is Lloyd Pierce in trouble? That's the way that works. So... 
I'm not sure how much pressure there is. I'm sure there is some level of pressure. If the Hawks come out and start 4-15, and 15, he might be in some peril. If they play the way that they're capable of playing, around 500 or better or something like that, he shouldn't be in any problem whatsoever. And it does help him, in my opinion anyway, that he really, really, really did a great job over the summer, over the pandemic. He's beloved in the city. He's done a ton of stuff off the court that's been fantastic. His reputation is really, really impressive, both inside and outside the league. He's well-regarded in the league as well as a tactician, as a basketball mind. So this is not just off-court stuff and leadership stuff, but he's a really good leader off the court. I think he is well-regarded. And if they, if they play well, he should be in good shape. And that's my that's my answer for now. The ultimate answer is that I don't know, quite frankly. But uh, I think there is probably is some pressure. I would think it's a little bit overstated right now. But if they start losing, then uh, come back to me. We'll talk about it again. Next question comes from Ralph on Twitter, who asks, where does Bruno Fernando stand after everything that has happened in the offseason? The short answer is that Bruno is not in the rotation, I wouldn't think, at the outset of the season. Now, there is the potential that because Onyeka Okongwu has this late start, he is not cleared for contact right now, and as a result of that, he isn't going to play on Friday. We'll see when he is available to play. There might be some minutes for Bruno early on that may not have been there if Okongwu was healthy. Quite obviously, the Hawks invested a lottery pick in Okongwu, and he vaults ahead of Bruno in the pecking order as a result of that. So, even if you ignore John Collins... Bruno is the third string center in the pecking order behind Capella and Okongwu. Then you throw in John, and suddenly, if everyone's healthy, it's hard to see Bruno getting minutes. At the same time, Bruno's still young. He's 22 years old. He's a guy who I thought was a reasonable investment in the early second round. Last season, he played not incredibly well, but he wasn't a complete disaster either for a second round pick. I think expectations always get the better of you. Hawks fans were in love with Bruno Fernando, and then now just think he's terrible, and it was somewhere in the middle all the way along. So, I think that Bruno, you know, if I if I had to guess, Bruno's not going to be like a big part of the future in Atlanta, but I think he's an NBA player potentially. He's under contract, he's pretty cheap still on this roster, and with an injury, he'll get some time. I mean, everyone on the roster this season, with the potential exception of the two-way guys, is going to play some minutes at some point. If everyone is healthy, I personally would not be playing Bruno in the rotation. If you get an injury to Capella or Akangwu or Collins or someone like that, um, even if it's just for one or two nights, you could see and probably will see Bruno play a little bit. So in terms of where he stands, I would say he's not a huge part of the future. He's not part of the core. And as a result of that, you kind of have to just treat that guy like a, like he's on the periphery. But he's still young. He still has talent. And I think he could be an NBA player in the future. So we'll see what he flashes. Obviously, he should play a decent amount in the preseason and the next four preseason games. So you have a nice look to see where he's at. Because part of the problem right now is that we're all flying blind. Bruno would have been at Summer League this summer as the returning elder statesman. And that didn't happen. So we've not seen Bruno play no play like anybody else has. But for a guy like him, seeing where he is development-wise is huge. We just don't know right now. So Long and short of it, I think he's not a huge part of the future, probably in Atlanta, but I think he has a good, uh, at least a reasonable NBA future in um, coming for him, and we'll see how he looks when we see him at some point on the court, maybe even on Friday. Okay, uh, last topic on the podcast today. Bet Online released some player props, some over-unders on stats for the Hawks and all of other teams. And people were passing, passing, passing this along to me. It was, it was sort of uh, publicized by Bet Online. And uh, I wanted to weigh in by just telling you what the numbers are and then uh, giving you a couple of numbers that I actually like if you are interested in that kind of thing. So I'm going to just read the numbers to you of the projections right now, and these are all over-under these numbers. For Bogdanovich, the over-under is 14.5 points per game. 
For Cam Reddish, it's 9.5 points per game. For Clint Capella, it's 12.5 points and 10.5 rebounds. For Gallinari, it's 17.5 points per game. For DeAndre Hunter, it's 11.5 points per game. John Collins, it's 18.5 points and 9.5 rebounds. Kevin Herter, 10.5 points. Anika Kongwu, 8.5 points and 5.5 rebounds. And then finally, Trey Young, 27.5 points and 8.5 assists. Now, I'll go one by one briefly. Uh, Bogdanovich, again, the number is 14.5 points. His career high is 15.1, which was last season. I think his usage would be a touch lower in Atlanta than it was in Sacramento. So I would lean on the under there for Bogdanovich. I would not bet that by any means. I think it's a pretty appropriate number at 14.5, so no play there for me. Cam Reddish, the number is 9.5. Last year, he averaged 10.5 points a game in 27 minutes. So I would take the over on that. The only concern there, of course, is that he wouldn't play as much as he would need to to get to that number, but I think he's going to play. The Hawks like him a lot. I would lean on the over at 9.5 points, even if I get why the number is where it is. Clint Capella, 12.5 points and 10.5 rebounds are his numbers. He averaged 14-14 and 14 last year in Houston. Now, Houston's a different situation, to be sure. I'd probably stay away on the point number because I think he may not have the kind of touches that he's used to. Um, Rebound-wise, though, it's a three-plus rebound gap between where he was last year and the number this year. I wouldn't bet it, probably, because 10.5 is a lot. To go over that, you probably have to be in the top five or six in the entire league in rebounding, but he could do that. I would lean over on that number. Gallinari, 17.5 points is the number. I would take the under on Gallinari, and that's not because I don't think he's good, because he's very, very good. He averaged 18.7 points per game last year in about 30 minutes per game, but he was clearly the best offensive player in the front court for Oklahoma City last year. Not necessarily the case this year with Collins on the team. I think he'll play a little bit less in Atlanta. I think he'll have a little, a little bit fewer shots. They have more mouths to feed with the Hawks, given Trey Young and Bogdanovich and Collins and even Capella than they had with, the, with Oklahoma City. I know they were they were a good team last year, but they didn't have the kind of volume of offensive standouts. It was really just Chris Paul, um, Shea, and Dennis Schroeder, and the talent the Hawks have is just more impressive in terms of the array of offensive players. So. I would lean under on Gallinari, I think, just because of playing time more than anything else, but he's capable of doing that. I would still take the under. DeAndre Hunter's number is 11.5 points. He averaged 12.3 points per game last year, so that would be an over, but you have to project him to play a little bit less than last year. Even if you think that Hunter might start and might play as much as Reddish or even more, 32 minutes of games where he played last year, I would think he plays less than that um, as a projection coming into the season. I wouldn't want to bet the under because if he gets a lot of open shots, he's going to get a lot of open shots if he's playing because of that, you know, he'll be the last starter probably if he is starting and all that stuff. But I would lean under on that number for Hunter. John Collins averaged 21.6 points and 10.1 rebounds last year. So his numbers at 18.5 and 9.5 points seem, sorry, 18.5 points and 9.5 rebounds seem a little bit low. At the same time, he now has some competition for touches and playing time from Gallinari and Capella as a, as a pick and roll guy. Um, the rebounding number is a lot, nine and a, nine and a half is a lot, and we went over it last year. I would just stay away. I think I would project John did not have quite the numbers that he had last year, but I think he'll still probably be you know somewhere in the 2010 range. I'm just not sure exactly where it lands, so I'd probably stay away from that. And then Kevin Herter, 10.5 points is his number. Last year averaged 12.2, but I would still lean under because he's the one guy that I think is impacted the most cleanly by Bogdanovich. I think he's going to play less for sure. I'm not sure how, how much he's going to play, so I would I would lean under, would not bet it, because if he plays a lot, then he could certainly go over that number with the way that he can shoot it. Onyeka Okongwu, 8.5 points, 5.5 rebounds. I would play the under on both, just because of playing time reasons for Okongwu, but I would not bet that, honestly. 
just because if Capella goes down for 10 games, Akongwu should play a lot and get some numbers because he's a pretty talented guy. So I wouldn't uh, endorse playing it on the over. I'm sorry, on the under, but I would lean that way if you wanted to do it. And finally, Trey Young, 27.5 points, 8.5 assists. I don't have a strong opinion on this one, on the points anyway. Uh, he averaged 29.3 last year, but obviously he has so many more options this time around. His usage rate shouldn't be quite as high. It's still going to be high. He's still going to score a lot. But 27.5 feels pretty appropriate. I, I think you probably have to project, and again I say project, in terms of estimating a little bit of a decline of his scoring, his raw scoring from last year. But he certainly could do it again, so I would not want to play the under. I wouldn't play the over either, though, so stay away from that one. Assists, 8.5, I would play the over. It's my favorite play on the entire board, quite frankly, of the Hawks. Is Trey Young over on assists? It should be 9.5 or 10, probably, on the number. Uh, he averaged 9.3 last year, and that was with the worst three-point shooting in the entire league around him. Also, you know, he has much more options this year uh, in terms of passing, even if, the, you know, on-ball options, off-ball options, etc. I think, personally, I think I will pick Trey to lead the league in assists. I picked that last year as sort of a dark horse, and he almost did it. He finished second. This year, I'm going to flat-out pick him. Last year, LeBron won it. Um, LeBron's really good, so that might happen again. But I think Trey is going to average double digits in, in assists this year. So give me the over. Favorite play on the board for the Hawks. And there you go on that. Uh, last thing on the podcast, Bet Online. while we're on that topic, also released make-or-miss playoff odds for the Hawks this season. And their number has the Hawks at minus 130 to make the playoffs. If you're not a huge gambling person... That means they are favored, albeit slightly, to make the playoffs. They have the eighth best odds in the Eastern Conference to make the playoffs. Um, the Pacers are seventh. They are minus 170, so 40 points of juice more than the Hawks. The Wizards are ninth. They are even money to make the playoffs. The Magic are 10th at plus 180. The Bulls are plus, 20, plus 275, and they are 11th. So that tells you, like at least in the betting market, that one that one sports book has the Hawks favored to make the playoffs like 55% of the time, something like that. So we'll see how that goes. I'm picking to make the playoffs as well. I'll release my final win total stuff later on. But um, that's the last thing I want to at least mention because it came, it came across my desk on today's podcast. So there you go. Um, thank you for listening to the show. As always, as I said at the top of the pod, we will have another podcast after the game on Friday evening. If the world ends before that, maybe I'll come back. But that's the plan. Preseason opener, Friday night in Atlanta. I am planning to be there. I will have a podcast after the game, so please subscribe. Please tell your friends. It should be a lot of fun, and uh, we'll see you next time.